All right, the text we're diving into is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. So if you'll turn there with me, and as we get there, I want to give us some context. First, of the letter of Philippians, and then a closer look at where our passage falls in Philippians. So Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church of Philippi, a Roman colony, and also this church was the first that Paul planted in Europe. So what this leads to is a very personal letter revealing the relationship that he had with the church. And Paul, when writing this, was in prison in Rome, and this letter was written in response to a gift that was delivered to Paul by Epaphroditus from the Philippian church. So essentially, this letter serves as an opportunity for Paul to express his thanks to the Philippians, uh, to provide a ministry update, and first and foremost, uh, it's an opportunity to express the desire he has for the Philippians to have joy in Christ because of what Christ has done. Where we're at in verse 12 to 16 is a section of a larger movement of thought that Paul puts together in all of chapter 3. And so these verses aren't going to make sense unless we have that full context. So essentially in chapter 3, Paul is conveying this message. All things are worthless outside of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So make it your own. What we see is in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3, Paul lays out his own worldly worth that he had as a Jew, and it was extensive. And then he dramatically throws it to the wayside in verse 8 calling it rubbish. It's a strong word that in the CSB translation is translated as dumb. So verses 8 to 11 then is what we move into next, and they're the pinnacle of this section. Halfway through verse 8, Paul starts a sentence that he doesn't finish till the end of verse 11. And this sentence is packed. Hundreds, if not thousands of books have been written on the topics contained in this sentence. Hundreds and thousands of hours, countless amounts have been given in sermons and conversations regarding it all. And I'm going to attempt to summarize it in a couple minutes. Verse 8, Paul says this, I have suffered the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here's the key phrase, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Okay, just a side note, though, I love this, faith, by faith. We, if you're here with us this semester, we spent a whole semester walking through Hebrews 11, talking about how our, we live this life by faith. Scripture is consistent. It's amazing. But back to what Paul's describing here, and what he describes is justification. This is massive. The implications of justification are huge. And I was able to get a list of some key theological terms that have been reviewed and discussed here by our elders at Quorum Deo, meaning intentional thought by our leaders was put to succinctly define some of these terms. So this is how they put it. Justification is an act of God's grace in which he pardons all our sins and declares us righteous in his sight, only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone apart from works. You'll find all the elements of that here in verses 8 to 9. And if you have questions, come to me or come to a leader. This is huge. There's a ton here, and we just don't have time to talk about it. Because next, we see in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the idea of sanctification, 
of which I've also got a definition for, from our elders, which says this, the progressive work of God and man that makes us increasingly free from sin and more like Christ in our lives. And this is the idea that we'll get to dive into tonight. But to move on, and finally, verse 11, Paul ends with saying that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That then brings us to verse 12. So coming into this, this is what Paul said. I have thrown away all earthly things. In fact, I count them as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Rubbish compared to being justified, sanctified, glorified by faith in Jesus. And based off these previous verses, I'm going to say things like know Christ, be like Christ, and sanctification a lot. I want to ensure that we're clear on what I'm talking about here. So we've defined sanctification, work of God and man to be free from sin and more like Christ. So being like Christ is being obedient to God the Father, as Jesus was and is, meaning that we're no longer sinning. Knowing Christ is the idea of perceiving and having knowledge of sin. That's the Greek meaning when Paul uses the phrase, that I may know him. This is the idea that you should know more about Jesus. Who is he? What has he done? Why is his life important? These concepts interact together this way. Knowing Christ leads to worship and awe of who he is. This leads into a relationship with Jesus that convicts and reveals sin. We're sinners, while also granting you access to the Holy Spirit. And thus, you get access to the power to help us no longer sin. And so sanctification, it's this journey with God to be more and more free from sin, meaning we're sinning more or less and less, via the power of the Holy Spirit, and thus becoming more like Christ. So, let's start reading. We're going to dive and read through the whole thing, and then we'll connect the dots on how they interact afterwards. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Okay, we've got to pause real quick. Verse 12 is an incredible statement. I pray that the weight, the depth, and the beauty of what Paul says here is not lost on you. Read it again. Not that I have already obtained this. This is referring to knowing Christ, becoming like him in his death, sanctification, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it, again, sanctification, my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We're definitely going to talk more about that, but let's keep going. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So as we go into this first point, I want you to ask this question. How much are you like Christ? Because the first thing we're going to see is that we should desire sanctification. I'm going to break verse 12 into three parts, kind of like an A, B, and C. And right now we're looking at the beginning of verse 12, the beginning of verse 13, and verse 15. Don't miss this repetition. It's intentional. Paul is going to great lengths to make sure you understand this. You're not done. 
You're not like Christ. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And then he just lays it out in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And what Paul is saying by that is that the mature Christian will realize, believe, and admit this. I'm not like Christ. I could be like him more. And he very flatly states that if you don't think that way, you will. God will reveal that to you. So, we've not obtained full sanctification. What does this mean? The definition from our elders said sanctification is to be increasingly free from sin and more like Christ in our lives. To be free from sin and like Christ is to be fully obedient to God the Father. And Paul makes it clear what the ultimate obedience is. Back in verse 10, becoming like Jesus in his death. Jesus was fully obedient in the most difficult circumstance possible to be obedient in. That's our standard. So let's go back to that question. How much are you like Christ? Do any of you need to change your answer? Because I can tell you, I am nowhere close. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. I'm nowhere close to being like Jesus in his death. And when the standard is set correctly, none of us meet it. Romans 3.23 says, For all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what do we do? Paul answers that next in verse 12. He says, But I press on to make it my own. We press on. Verse 14, he says it again, repetition, notice that. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And at this moment, we're looking at pressing on. We'll address the rest of that verse later, but let's look at what is very clear. We are not to sit idle as Christians. Follow Paul's logic so far in verse 12. He hasn't become like Christ, so... He presses on to know Christ fully. And what I want to try to do is give us the full sense of what Paul is trying to convey here. So let's think about this phrase, press on. Verse 12, we see it in verse 14, repeated. And I don't know exactly what come, comes to mind for you when you think of pressing on. Maybe it's this idea of like endurance or this idea of moving forward continually. Or maybe you like literally think of like pressing on this table. But let's dial it in to the definition of what Paul is intending it to here. The word Paul uses is the Greek word dioko. The definition for dioko in this way is this. To run swiftly in order to catch some person or thing. To run after. Paul's using this imagery of running. Running swiftly in order to make being like Christ his own. He runs after it. He is moving intentionally and quickly towards that goal. This is not a passive phrase. I'm not there, so I run. You should too. Press on toward Christ. That's sanctification. That is the call we have from God for our life. We aren't idle, but moving steadily forward towards Christ. So what does moving towards Christ look like? It starts with being obedient. To be obedient to death as Jesus was. We should start by being obedient in everything we can. Pray. Be in the word. Love your neighbor. Get to church. Be involved in building up the body of Christ. 
Start now so that you can work towards full sanctification. So you can be like Christ, obedient to God, the Father. And there are many biblical ways that we can press on towards Christ. But Paul helps us here in this passage. He gives us a personal example that we can replicate. If we look at verse 13, Paul says this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's this idea of don't look back. And I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, I was confused. What does that mean? Like, what does he mean by behind? Does that mean our past? Do we forget our past? What is ahead? Is this sanctification? Is this heaven? Is it death? This is where we can come back to that phrase, press on, that Paul made. Remember the Greek definition, to run swiftly in order to catch some person or thing. It's this idea of running, that imagery, that being used by Paul that he's leaning on here. And he does it in 1 Corinthians 9, where he talks about running a race to the finish line. Or how about Hebrews? The author of Hebrews used it. We were there all semester. You heard many times Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. And in there it says, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. I did track in high school. Um, I do have to admit, I spent most of my time doing throwing events, so I didn't really run that often. Um, but one event I did was the 4x4. Um, and in this relay, I was never fast enough to be the person who led off or the person who's anchor at the end. So I was always getting the baton and passing off the baton in this race. And you know what the coach tells you when you're, you're getting ready to get the baton? Don't look back. You see, when you're the person receiving the baton, it's your job to stay in your lane and run that next 400 meters. It's the person ending the race's job to get you the baton. If you're looking back, you could leave your lane. You could stumble, lose momentum, so you look ahead and you run the race. And as you're running, particularly in my situation, you're not done when you reach the finish line. You don't get to just run across the line. You got to get that baton in the next runner's hand. So as you're running and you're coming around that last curve, you're zoning in on your next person in line. You're looking for them. But you're not even just looking for them. You're zoning in on their hand. You've got to get that baton in their hand. And if your lungs burn like mine did, that's actually a really hard job to do. But that's this idea of what Paul means by forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead. In this imagery, Christ is the end. He's at the end. We're running after him. We're focusing in on him. We're going with all our effort, getting every ounce of speed out of us to get to Christ. We press on. We were just there in verse 14. He presses on towards the goal knowing Christ more, being like him. What this means also is that our successes and failures are behind us. What Paul, Paul isn't saying is to forget what happened. That'd actually be pretty confusing because the first seven verses of this chapter were him recounting his past in which he had worldly worth and merit. But you know what else Paul had? Murder. He persecuted Christians. He hated the name of Jesus. Yet because of Christ, Paul puts that behind him and runs after Jesus. Friends, your sins have been justified and forgiven if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. They're behind you. Praise God. That's worth celebrating. And if you're sinning, that means you need to stop. 
and put that sin behind you. Listen to this quote from Exalting Jesus Commentary in Philippians. It says, look at the guy who is writing this letter. He persecuted Christians to the death, Acts 22.4. Yet we don't find Paul saying, oh, I'm limited now. My previous experiences have made me damaged goods. You don't even find him saying anything like, I need to pay God back now. He simply forgets as he runs, and you can too. The gospel really is good news. We have the blessing of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We can move on from our sins because the Lord has given us the power through Christ to do that. But please don't overinterpret this. Past sin, if not made right, should be dealt with. Personally, between you and the Lord, through repentance and prayer, and with your brothers and sisters. And then when you have, put it behind you and run after Jesus. There's also a flip side to this coin. Let's be honest. I love the idea of looking past my sins. Sexual morality, gone. Pride, gone. But that summer where I worked at camp serving some kids, I don't want to forget about that. Let's remember that. Let's keep that up. Or what about that time during the week when I was helping some people out? I don't want to forget that. But here's the thing. Ask this question. Is the gospel better than my successes? It is. Your failures and your successes are behind you. You do something good, serve the Lord faithfully and well, praise God. But that doesn't mean you're done. You don't get to take a break and sit idle. You're still not like Christ fully. So forget and strain towards Jesus. So at this point, following in particular the logic in verse 12 from Paul, we know that we haven't obtained it. And we should press on. Great. Why? Why work so intentionally to know Christ more? And he answered in verse 12, it's because Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has made me, has made believers his own. You are Christ's. Paul encapsulates all of this with one idea, the gospel. Everything good and godly we do is worth doing because of the gospel, plain and simple. And I have to confess, I had to be convinced of this by the Lord this passage that we're going through tonight is significant to me. It's a great reminder for me of where I'm headed in life, what I'm striving for. Uh, I deeply desire for the beauty of these words to be something that you can take a hold of. And to do that, I struggled to find the words to say. I needed my eloquence to somehow convey this beauty and this imagery and this amazing worth bouncing off the pages from Scripture at you. But ultimately, it was from me. And the Lord just convicted me deeply with this question. What is more eloquent than the gospel? I'm not. Nothing is. Sanctification is possible because of the gospel. Salvation, because of the gospel. Pressing on, because of the gospel. Jesus came he died and rose for the sins of the world, and that's good news. And don't hear it from me. Hear it from the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8-9 For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And finally, Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. Who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christ came. He died. He rose. Believe in him, and you have eternal life with the Lord. The end of verse 12. Christ Jesus has made you his own. End of verse 14. What is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? We get to be his for eternity in heaven, worshiping the Lord. In verse 16, Paul says, let us hold true to what we have attained. We have attained a place as Lord's son or daughter. We are his, justified, our sins white clean. What more motivation do we need? What do you need to implement today to press on? Is something from your past keeping you from pressing on? Or summer, summer's coming. What's the biggest challenge that's coming that might keep you from becoming more like Christ? Make plans, make steps to be like Christ. Christ made us his. So let's be like him. We're not there. We haven't obtained it. So press on. Don't look back. Look at the prize. Run after Christ. Because we're Christ's. Let's pray. Lord, you're an amazing God who's worked in some amazing ways. Lord, but ultimately, and most amazingly through the life of Jesus, your son, to come to this earth and live a perfect, sinless life to die the death that we deserved. Defeating death in his resurrection, Lord, so that we can come to you by faith in Jesus and be with you at this moment, talking to you, learning to be more like Christ, 
to love you and be obedient to you. God, it's overwhelming what you have given us in this, in Christ. Lord, I just pray that the Spirit will move, that your Spirit will enter the hearts of those who don't believe. Lord, that your Spirit will move amongst those who believe to just spur us to be more like Christ. Lord, and I pray this as we go into the summer. Just encourage us. It's in your Son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.